it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kokegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we meet Chris Swersey, who, following a 30-year career in the brewing industry in the United States, recently moved to Australia, where he has started a role with Tribe Breweries as a new product development brewer. Chris's 30-year career has been a little different to many in the industry, as his brewing career led him to a 20-year career with the Brewers Association in the United States as the competition manager, running the Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cup competitions, where he became a household name to many Australian brewers. He has been in a unique position to observe the evolution of the craft brewing movement, and we talk about what he has seen along that journey. As you'll hear Chris say, while brewers can generally not do enough to help each other in the brew house, the marketplace has become so crowded it's become something of a knife fight. This is an interesting chat with a very thoughtful brewer. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Chris Swersey, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. More importantly, welcome to Australia. As, uh, as somebody who's, so your name has loomed large as I've watched on the, uh, the the US scene, you know, for almost two decades, and you've been involved in the Brewing Association uh, for just as long. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I've been here today. As I realized, today is the two month anniversary of uh, of my arrival. I got here on May twenty first, and um, so excited to be here. I can't even tell you it's uh, it's a dream come true. And it's not really beer that brought you here either is it well it's a, it's it's a lot of both i it's hard for me to uh you know to separate beer from the rest of my life um but yeah I, i'm here uh you're chasing uh chasing a woman across the pacific my beautiful fiance Catherine. she and i met five years ago at a at an industry event a beer industry event um in washington dc our, our craft brewers conference and we met professionally and then um, things things went from there, you know, several months later. So anyway, um, yeah, it's hard to hard to separate beer from the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very lucky to have you, and you, you you've recently taken on a new position as the new product development brewer uh, for Tribe. Yeah, it's um, it's an incredibly challenging job for me, and working for a company that is highly innovative and. I'll, I'll tell you this: this job, this new job, keeps me keeps me running. There's a lot I have a lot to learn, um, <laughs> and, a, and a lot a lot to catch up on. Well, we will come to that in a little bit, but maybe uh, take us back to: Were you always a brewer? Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I started home brewing in 1988. I, I joined the, the Home Brewers Association back in 1989, and then joined you know, what the Brewers Association used to be called way back in the day, the Institute for Brewing Studies, uh, shortly after that. So I've been a, a member for over 30 years and uh, actually found my first professional job in brewing um, through the, you know, I'll, I'll just start calling it the Brewers Association. But, um, you know, I, I, fa- I found a job in Steamboat Springs at a brewery that unfortunately is no longer there, but... Um, uh, I learned a learned a great deal from uh, from the job, and, you know, from from the the brewmaster, and 
um, and then went from there. So it's been a, lo- a very, very long road and uh, um, a, an incredibly enjoyable one. I, I love the people in this industry. I, I love the industry itself. It's, it's really been my life for, for a very long time. So what was the attraction of homebrewing? Because it was, again, it, it was very, very early days in the industry. It didn't have the hype and the excitement that perhaps draws a lot of people in now. Yeah, you're right. It was early days. You know, I was in Steamboat Springs as a, I, I took a couple of years away from university. And, uh, well, I was going to take one and one, you know, one good gap year deserves two more, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, I was I was in Steamboat with some some very dear friends who, who in a former life, I was both a both a ski bum and a, a river guide and then also a river outfitter. My, my family owned a river a whitewater rafting and fishing company for over 20 years. But leading leading up to that, I you know I was guiding and had some some dear friends, and we we moved to Steamboat to spend the winter together skiing and do the jobs we could find. And uh, my one friend came home one day and said, "Hey, I found this found this little shop in, in downtown Steamboat, and they they will sell you all the things you need to to make beer." And I said, "You're kidding." And anyway, it was new to me; I had never heard of such a thing. And and you know we went and checked it out. We bought our first malt extracts and hops and yeast, and we started making beer. Um, but the, you know, really the, the reason for that was that, you know, back in the late eighties, the, the assortment of beer that we had available to us was extraordinarily limited, you know, compared to today. Holy cow. This is, you know, this, uh, 2022 is, uh, is kind of the golden era for, for the beer drinker, right? There's so much, so much beer, so much choice, so many different brands and, and flavor experiences, but back then it was not like that. So Part of the attraction was really to to make beers that um, that were different, you know, that we could, you know, try something new. <laughs> I remember Jamil Janishev once telling me that you know an award winning home brewer, um, you know, legendary home brewer who went on to yep. uh, open his own brewery. Uh, when he when we spoke to him years ago, uh, talked about you know, he'd, I think a neighbour got him into home brewing, and his first beer was so bad he swore he'd never make another one. Was is my memory <laughs> of that conversation? What was your first outing like? Uh, the first beer I made was a just a, a quick and dirty American pale ale. It was intended to be sort of a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone. That was one of the very few craft beers we could get at the, at the time. That and uh, Pete's Wicked Ale. Um, and uh, that beer actually came out pretty, pretty good. Um, it was my second batch of homebrew that was the one uh, that I swore I would never brew again. <laughs> I've been overconfident <laughs> after the first one. I'm, yeah, I don't, I, to this day, I still don't know what happened, but... Uh, uh, Anyway, yeah, that first one was good. The second one was not, and uh, every batch since then's been, you know, good or good or better. Um, <laughs> you know, I've uh, at least as far as homebrew goes. I, you know, look, I've in my professional career, I've uh, dumped, I don't know how many batches of beer. Um, you know, but if you're if you're doing it right, and if you really care about your beer, you're gonna you're gonna end up doing that. You're gonna have some. You're going to have one or more batches of beer that do not meet up to, you know, the drinker's expectations or to your own high expectations for yourself. You know, if you're doing it right, you don't put that beer in front of people. You just, um, you bite the bullet and you move on. 
I remember I spoke to Kim Jordan uh, on the podcast probably four years ago now, um, and that was one of the things that she advised: brewers need to budget for dumping beer because you're going to make you know things aren't going to go right. She's right about that. Um, that's a that's a great lesson for all of us, really, is to to build that into your budget. Um, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's uh, it's true though. And it doesn't matter if you're, a, a, you know, a big, huge company, uh, or or a tiny one. You know, your 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 drinker has has very high expectations, and and really, you you are the steward of your own brand more than more than anyone else. And you know, for that brand to mean anything, um, the hardest, you know, the hardest step in the in the whole process should be to get past you. You know, you the brewer, and uh, I, I believe that very strongly. So, tell me about your transition to going professional going pro you know you, you've lived the dream of of many home brewers to have made a a life out of a, a career in beer mm-hmm. yeah that's true i really have um and i know i don't think i saw it that way when i did when i did i don't think i was really aware of it but you're, i guess you're exactly right and, and in, in hindsight I, you know i was i was i mentioned i was river rafting in the summer and i i took this guy down the river in idaho i used to I've just recently moved from Idaho. Idaho is, a, is in our Pacific Northwest of the United States, um, way up north, kind of borders on Canada and Montana, Washington and Oregon. And uh, I was working on the uh, the Middle Fork of the Salmon and the Main Salmon Rivers. And I ended up taking this guy down the river on one of our trips. Um, and um, anyway, his, you know, we started talking about beer. I had a couple of bottles of homebrew and I shared shared it with him. And he said, "Oh, you got to talk to my brother. My brother's the, um, you know, he's the uh, executive director of this this organization in 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 Boulder, Colorado." And, and anyway, um, his brother was a guy named Jeff Mendel. And Jeff, um, even today, I consider Jeff a friend. But back then, you know, Jeff didn't know me from Adam. And I called up and he answered the phone and. He said, "Yeah, join up," um, and so I did. I joined and started learning about, you know, home home brewing and professional brewing. And uh, you know, I said, "Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a I'm an avid home brewer, and I'll be back in Steamboat uh, this this fall. Maybe I'll come down to Boulder and come say hi." And he said, "Well, it's funny you say that because um, we've got a a member in Steamboat that's just building a brewery now, and they're starting to look for for brewers." And I thought, "Huh, maybe maybe I'll reach out to them," and I did. And was lucky enough to get a job there. Um, so really it was one of those funny, funny coincidences about, you know, that have to do with, you know, networking and, and just different parts of your life kind of coming together. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I'm also a very big believer in the, in the power of trade associations for that very reason. Um, you know, they do, uh, they, they serve the very, very important job of, of providing a, a community and a fabric um, that is absolutely essential to growing any industry. You know, I'm, I'm living proof of that. Mm. Because you spent 21 years with the American, you know, Craft Brewers Trade Association, the Brewers Association. Um, how did you come to be involved with them? You know, I brewed professionally for about 10 years. And then my family and I decided to do something really different. We, you know, our kids were still young and my boys and, we moved to Idaho to, to buy a river rafting business. So we transitioned from, you know, from employees to owners. And um, in the middle of that, I, I left the industry as a, you know, as a, 
you know, boots on professional day-to-day brewer, but I did continue with a lot of consulting work, you know, stayed involved with, with the association and also attended, you know, the craft brewers conferences each year, mostly because, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends in the industry. I, I did, and I still do. And, and I wanted to maintain those relationships. So I think it was maybe in 2001 or two, there was a, a craft brewers conference in Portland, Oregon. And I bumped into my friend, Paul Gatza. And Paul at that time was the competition manager. This must've been, this must've been 2001. Now that I think about it, you know, again, the power of networking. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, we just, we spoke for a little bit. I, I was, I was a judge in our competitions at that point, And Paul was the one that kept sending me invitations and, and kindly included, you know, he kept including me and we, we talked for a little bit and he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing some different things for the association and we're going to, we're going to start, start a search for a competition manager. So that became my, my next role and my next job with the, with the association. And uh, it grew over time, um, you know, from, uh, from a, you know, a small contract um, in 2001 to, um, you know, to a full-time one one of one of a couple of full time jobs that I held with the with the association very very happily. You, you you certainly did. So what what was the association like then? Because the, the Australian Brewers Association uh, that is now the IBA really uh, only formed ten years ago, so it's much younger by comparison. And so to some extent, we got to see the American model that has evolved and changed um, as it's gone along. But what was it like when you started? Well, I think we had staff numbering in the high 20s, maybe, compared to the, I think, to like right before COVID, or let's let's call it early 2020, I think we had 68 or 67 staffers. Mm. So um, quite, a, quite a smaller staff. Um, absolutely a much smaller budget. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just because the industry itself was smaller. And, um, you know, the association not unlike the association here, you know, the, the association in the U S you know, um, our, you know, the budget, the budget arises from, uh, from, from events revenue and from, from dues based on barrelage. And so, you know, with a, with a much smaller total amount of barrels, you know, back in 2001, 2002, you know, that, uh, that dues portion was much smaller and with a much smaller number of breweries. I think we were in the low thousands, call it, I don't know, 900, 1,000, 1,100 breweries, something like that. Um, you know, likewise, the number of attendees at, at, at conferences and the, amount, the number of entries at competitions was smaller. So, so that revenue was also smaller. Yeah, so the resources were, you know, were quite a bit more limited um, with what we could do. And, and um, over time, that really grew. Um, and, you know, as a not-for-profit, you're not interested in, in collecting revenue just to, for the sake of collecting it. You're 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 collecting revenue as resources so that you can better serve your membership. And I can tell you that uh, I'm very proud to have, have worked for that association for a very long time to have served, you know, to have served that, that community in a way that that grew. You know, we, we grew our technical capabilities. We grew our, you know, all the technology behind our competitions. We grew the judge pool, a number of brewers that participate you know, in the, in those competitions and, you know, at our conferences, um, continued to grow. So, um, we all grew together and it's, um, it's been fantastic to, 
to be able to to watch that growth and to take part in it. I imagine the narrative has changed a lot around craft beer. You know, in the early two thousands when I started writing professionally um, about the brewing industry, it was very much us versus them. The definition of craft was something that you know passionate beer people would die in a ditch over. <laughs> you know, uh, will never sell out. There was that rebellious spirit. And, you know, over, over two decades, that's, I mean, eroded. It might be the, might, might be the word or changed or evolved or matured to, to being a little bit more pragmatic um, <laughs> around what the craft beer industry is. How has that been watching close up? Yeah, I think you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think that... Um you know, as, as a lot of our, you know, breweries grew bigger and bigger. And um, as those original owners looked for succession plans, you know, the messaging around that really changed. Mm. And um, I guess I'll, uh, I'll, I'll back up a little bit also for, for you know, for context, my third, uh, my third and, and last um, brewery job prior to my, my current job with Tribe was with, with Jacob Leinenkugel's. And that that company is in. Uh, they're based in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I worked for them for four or five years in the in the in the late '90s. Uh, I think right until early 2000, something like that. They're owned by Miller Brewing Company, and you know, so they're a very well resourced um, business, right? And uh, uh, made great beers, just super beers with with unbelievable uh, support from the locals, right? Uh, people in Wisconsin just they love their lineys. Anyway, you know, the, the first six months I worked for the company, I was working at one of the biggest breweries on earth and, you know, doing, doing test batches and learning as much as I could, um, you know, because the, the technical knowledge at a, at a big brewery like Miller is, is just unbelievable. And then, you know, moved to, moved to Phoenix to, to uh, finish building out and opening a, a, a great brew pub there, which also unfortunately is no longer there. Um, it was, it was on the, uh, the plaza of the baseball stadium for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that was, that was, that was a really fun brewery. Um, uh, I had some very dear friends who, who ran the sandlot at Coors Field. So we had a, we always had a, a season, a baseball season long competition um, between the, the Diamondbacks and the, and the Rockies. But um, yeah, look, um, I, I came into the association with, with that kind of perspective under my belt. And you know, having worked for two very, very small breweries um, and then uh, a much bigger one. And, you know, that said, I, uh, I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, we, we, have, we had members of the association that felt incredibly strongly about, you know, their, their independence and um, their ability to compete because, you know, let's, let's face it, you know, the, that that um, that sales piece out on the street—that's a knife fight. You mm. know, brewer, brewers brewers will do—they'll do anything to help each other. You know, if you need yeast, if you need some, you know, to someone to bounce some ideas off of. You know, that that brewing that that brotherhood and sisterhood of of brewers is—it's um, almost sacred. And you know, brewers will literally go out of their way to help you in the brewery once that beer <laughs> once that yeah right once, once that beer leaves the uh leaves the brewery then it, it really is a nice fight and um it took me a long time to learn this but uh you don't make money in a brewery all you do is spend money uh, you, make, you make money by 
by selling the beer. And that's much, much harder. So I understand it. And I, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, that it's a, it's a very, a very heavy competition. that's fierce out there. And that, you know, when, when, when breweries are small, it's, um, you know, it's do or die. So, so I definitely understand that. My, you know, my, my roots and my, my career have given me all kinds of perspective on that. It's interesting, just even in the conversation so far, if I'm keeping track, there's at least two breweries that you've worked for that went out of business. I'm sure that it's got nothing to do with the fact that you work with them, but, you know. I would, I would hope not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, look, I'm not trying to link those two things, but it's just yeah. interesting that, uh, yeah, like, and, 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 you know, breweries do come and then they, they, they go. That's right. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the the brewery and Steamboat met with some financial issues, and some of those issues were also related to some other things that I won't I won't get into. Mm. But um, unfortunately, the you know that that was simply a a, a business that made great beer, um, had a an absolutely killer killer brew pub um, model located right next to the ski slopes and Steamboat's like unbelievable location. We had a great music program, um, an enormous eight or nine thousand square foot space on three levels. We had music; it was unbelievable. It was a fan- fantastic place, um, and even with all of those advantages, it couldn't overcome, you know, some very poor, very poor business and personal decisions. Um, and then, um, you know, the 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 Ballyard Brewery in Phoenix. Um, like I said, that building was located on the plaza of the of the baseball stadium. And as I understand, I think I left the brewery in 2000. And I think around 2002 or three, um, the the ownership of the the baseball stadium, you know, changed directions on what they wanted to do with with that space. And so uh, that you know the brewing the brewing company, Line and Google, still exists and they're stronger than ever. Um, but that that particular small brewery that was run by them is no longer there. The, uh, the brewery that is still there of the, of the three is a fantastic little brewery in, in Libertyville, Illinois. It's called Mickey Finn's. And um, uh, I think it's Libertyville Brewing Company and their, their DBA is, is Mickey Finn's, but yeah, look, they're still in, they're still in business. They still make award-winning beer. Uh, and um, yeah, I was very, very proud of the work I did at all three of those breweries, and and really the three companies couldn't have been more different from each other. The other thing that uh, that I've already picked up from this chat is you know you you talked about white water rafting, ski slopes, out you know and very much outdoor activity, which is another thing uh, that I've really picked up in talking to a lot of uh, you know brewers in the U.S. or beer industry people in the U.S. That it seems to be very much an industry that draws people that have an active outdoors lifestyle. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But, I well, suppose I guess particularly in places like Denver, which is a, is a very outdoors uh, lifestyle um, region. I, I guess you're right. You know, I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but you're, but you're, you're exactly right. Um, yeah, the guys, the guys from the Sandlot, and that brewery is still there at Coorsfield. Um, mm. Those guys, I, I actually met them in Steamboat through a mutual friend we, we ended up skiing together a few days through a mutual friend years before i met them professionally and before we ended up um you know taking kegs of beer off of each other <laughs> um you know but uh, yeah it's a small world and and um 
and you're right. Yeah, the, the the beer industry, you know, people people in in the beer industry are really interesting people. I, I think it's an industry that attracts a a certain personality type that that really sees the world differently, you know, from from other jobs. And I, I think that I think that's a strength, uh, a, an important strength for for our industry. You know, I'm, I'm guessing you and I are a, a similar age. Um, to have been in the industry, you know, you were in the industry for 10 years before you joined the Brewers Association. Um, we are seeing a, a significant generational change coming through. Do, do, do you think that people entering the industry now who, have, who haven't come from the days when it was no choice of beer driving the, and uh, sorry and I, I should step back a little bit I had a great uh, interview today or a great chat with Brennan Varis um, who's a very well known Australian uh, craft brewer and you know as he said that he got into it because you couldn't get the beers that he wanted to drink and he so he figured he had to make them and that's really just not true anymore um, and so people who are entering the industry these days are probably motivated by a different set of goals than you know brewers 30 years were did did do you agree with that or do you do you have any observations I, on that i do uh, yeah and i and i know bv yeah look um i i think i think there's a lot of truth in that you know one of the many things that attracted me to the industry was like i said and you and you just captured it again was was this idea of wanting diversity in in food and drink right mm. but that's not the that's not the only motivator and there's something about that creative process that i think is very important i think if you're if you're doing it right in our industry that you are you're honoring you know many thousands of years of tradition you're you're using your creative spirit you're also using you know a lot of technical skills um that's another thing I notice a lot in in, uh, in the beer industry is the you know a lot of the people involved have you know really significant technical training either in you know biochemistry or, or chemistry or engineering take your pick right mm. and you know the jobs that are traditionally available to you with that kind of training don't don't feel like they don't feel like the the beer industry they feel like you know, more hardcore sort of industrial kinds of jobs. But there's something about beer that just that captures people's imagination and their spirit and, and really draws them in. Um, I guess I'll speak for myself in that, but but I but I, I, I I'm sure that's true because the people I know in the in the industry, you know, they have that same kind of that same kind of fire behind their eyes and in their bellies to to make great beer. It's just fantastic. It's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of pride that goes into a, a great class of beer. <laughs> one, one of the best descriptors or you know, explanations for that I've heard was from a, uh, a Belgian couple who um, have recently opened a Belgian brewery on the Gold Coast called Maddock. And they, or he, he used to uh, do air conditioning. And, you know, as he said, you do a great job and it would be hidden in a box in an office and no one would see it. Whereas with brewing, when I do something that I'm proud of, I get to see the pleasure on somebody's face across the bar. And I just sort of thought that was such a beautiful encapsulation for the joy of, you know, making beer and getting to see people enjoy it. I couldn't have said it better. 
And I, I can relate, you know, if my training is, was in chemistry and, and in medicinal chemistry in grad school. And boy, there, there really is something about being able to enjoy the, the fruits of your labors at the end of the day. And, and seeing others. I mean, it's something that a lot of us get from cooking for other people, uh, you know, yeah, seeing the right. pleasure. And it's a gift that you can give somebody in a way. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people think of beer as, you know, a social, a social catalyst, right? And we really are, we really are in the relationship um, business. You know, the, the whole industry thrives on relationships, but it also fosters them, you know, like you say, across a bar or in your home, you know, over a, a nice dinner bottle, you know, with, mm. with a nice meal with your family or with friends. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really important part of, part of life. And you went on to become competition director for the the, the Brewers Association for the, um, the the World Beer Cup. How how challenging did that become? As the number of breweries went from one two thousand potential entrants to up around eight and a half nine thousand, what were the logistics like of managing competitions as they grew? I'll start with a caveat. One of one of the goals as as our competitions grew, one of our goals was to make sure that you know, that we didn't overwhelm the judge panel with, mm. you know, with too many beers, right? I mean, you lose credibility that way if, 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 that's, if that's the outcome. And it's not fair to the beers at all, right? So you have to make sure that your panel are sharp and um, that you don't overwhelm them. And so I can say we, we, we did these statistics year after year after year as we kept growing to make sure that we were on the right track. But the number of the number of beers that each judge assessed at the the most recent World Beer Cup in 2022 and and at the GABF in 2021 was actually lower, a tiny bit lower, um, but just enough to be measurable statistically, was lower than uh, the 2007 Great American Beer Festival. So, I'm very proud of that. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be able to say that because because getting there was really difficult um, and and came at, at, at great effort on the part of a lot of people. We have a we have a beer sorting team. So the, the way the way it works is all the beers they, they go to our sorting warehouse in um, uh, Louisville, Colorado, and we have a team led by some folks that have been at it for a very long time and staffed primarily by over 100, 100 volunteers. Uh, these, are, these are people that love beer. Uh, I can't say enough about the, the sorting team at the, uh, at the BA. But anyway, look, uh, you know, those folks had to keep growing and growing. And, and, and what we did was we, we would sort the beers. You know, they would come in, you know, like in two or three boxes from a given brewery. And we would sort them by category. So, you know, we'd have thousands of boxes and coolers and pallets of beer to, to get through in, you know, three short weeks. And those folks would take all of that chaos <laughs> and, and it is truly chaotic and, and turn it into order. You know, they would take all the Irish stouts and put them in one, in one set of boxes, all of the barley wines in another set of boxes, all of the American style lagers, you know, et cetera. So they would, they would organize the beers by category. Um, so that 
that particular step, that that sorting step, really became an engine of growth for us. And at that, you know, once once you've got a handle on that, then it just became adding more tables of judges. And to do that, you know, we basically recruited judges year round. Um, people would contact us any time of the year, and we would, you know, work them through the application process to understand what their what their training and what their abilities were like, what their what their peers had to say about them. And um, and look, in the end, we we kept growing and growing and and doing it in a way that was, you know, responsible to the to the entering brewers because because look, the, the folks that are entering beers in competitions anywhere around the world, those those are the stars of the show. You know, those those folks are putting it all on the line. And I know this because I used to enter competitions myself. Um, you're putting it all on the line. You're you're putting your beers through an extraordinarily difficult form of, of peer review, right? Mm-hmm. These are your peers in the industry. You know, they don't know that it's your beer because uh, it's blind. But they're they're telling you, yeah, you make great beer. Or, no, you, you, weren't, you weren't on your – you didn't put your best foot forward on this day. And, and so, you know, win or lose, you're going to learn a lot from, from that. And um, anyway – we did that in a way that that allowed that dialogue to continue to foster with you know with with high credibility and and in a way that was that was fair to to those entering brewers and allowed them to put their best foot forward you know, after a competition having won something or or having learned something from their their judge feedback so that they could make their beers better mm. anyway that that meant a lot to me and and um, uh, still does and i'm I'm very I'm I'm unbelievably grateful to the the people that I worked with for many many years at at the association and and especially on the competition team who you know who really who really do they continue to work tirelessly to to make our industry look great. Look, I I think it's very fair to say that you were highly regarded, revered almost uh, when you read the testimonials when you left. Um, it, it, it was a huge departure and it, as we've established, you had a very good reason to cross the Pacific to come to Australia. Tell me about your new role as a new product development brewer. Yeah, I, I work, uh, I live in Goulburn, um, which is a couple hours southwest of, of Sydney and about an hour north of, of Canberra. Tribe has a, a, a large production brewery here. And Tribe also owns um, the the Stockade Brewery in Merrickville. Tribe also did own the Mornington Peninsula Brewery and, and still owns the brands. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, COVID. It seems like it seems like you can't have a conversation these days without talking about COVID. But but um, anyway, COVID really took a lot from from all of us. Right? We've all lost something, either people we knew or or something. And un- unfortunately. Um, you know, COVID really resulted in the the closure of the Mornington Peninsula Brewery, and that was incredibly sad. But um, we still own the brands and we produce them. And then we also own a a brand called Wild, which is our our gluten free brand and um, and better for you brand. We're gonna we're gonna the plans are to continue to grow the brand as well. But I um you know I I, I learned more. I think I learned more in 20 years about brewing. You know, 20 years with the association than I did in the 10 years that I worked professionally as a brewer, um, that, you know, my, my time with the association gave me tremendous, just sort of unbelievable one-on-one time with, man, some of the, some of the best brewers on earth. And that included, you know, people from some very big breweries who, 
you know, participated in some of our uh, working groups and, and, and at conferences, um, you know, good sized craft brewers and small craft brewers alike. Um, but long story short, even, even with all of that, um, that fantastic um, knowledge and experience, I am, I am very challenged to keep up here. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this job is, um, is very complex. Very, it's very difficult. It's very fast moving. The, this brewery that, you know, tribe, tribe are, boy, they, they innovate constantly. Um, it's, it's, it's in, it's in our company's DNA, um, to, to innovate and to, you know, to, to create new delicious, delightful beers that, that keep pushing the boundaries of, of how people think about beer. And it's a challenging time for that as well. It, it, it's not just your know, new product development isn't just finding a new dry lager. It's, you know, we, we, we've got low alk is uh, a, a huge growth sector. We, you know, hazies, there's, you know, brewers who are in the craft space that are using all sorts of enzymes and additives uh, to, to try and push the boundaries of what beer can be. How hard is it to keep up in, in that sphere in your product development? Well, for me, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm just learning a lot of that. I think, you know, a few years ago when seltzers started to hit really big um, and a few years before that when gluten-free beers started to take off, you know, I started to hear about it tangentially from, from our members that were producing those, those beverages, right? Mm. Um, but never produced them myself. And... So for me, you know, to be a part of this now really, really is a very different look at how, at, at how that, at how that happens. Um, so I've got, you know, I've got something to offer, but I'm sure that I'm learning a lot more than, than I'm giving back right now from, from tribe. I, I work with some amazingly talented people, um, in our sales and marketing team who, who come up with some great ideas for, for new beers, um, to, you know the, the the brewers that I work with, um, the three uh, the three uh, head brewers here, um, who are incredibly knowledgeable and very generous and very sharing with their you know with their knowledge. I am I'm incredibly fortunate to uh, to work side by side with them and to and to hear what they have to, to offer me. Uh, for sure, I'm, I'm I'm like I said, I'm getting a lot more than I'm giving right now. There's no doubt about that. Well, Chris, it's great to have you over here. It's really been fascinating hearing your insights about a, you know, a, a, the emergence and development of the of the brewing industry. And uh, more than anything, I look forward to having a uh, much longer beer with you uh, at some stage very soon. But thank you very much for joining us uh, on this conversation. Oh gosh, Matt, it's uh, yeah, it's it's my privilege, and uh, I'll look forward to I'll look forward to meeting you in person sometime soon. I hope. Hopefully, it won't be too long. And and with Catherine. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. We'll share a beer. And that was Chris Swersey. Don't forget to hang around for a little bonus chat that we have for you this week, talking about Lark Whiskey. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts on guests and current issues in the brewing industry. You'll find links to those in the show notes. 